You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlett. We are starting a brand new series today um, as a church um, in, in our teaching. And so um, I'm actually going to kind of jump right into the message for sake of time. Uh, we may actually even land the plane early. I know I say that a lot. This time I mean it. Uh, possibly. We'll see. Um, but this series is, is more, of a, uh, it's more of a heartbeat of who we are. Um, it's more of a um, who we're called to be as followers of Jesus, who we're called to be as a church, and how we follow um, to where the Lord is leading us and how we accomplish all of that. Um, the world operates in a way that you are, um, you are by what you do. Um, I remember when I, um, as an 18-year-old, applying to go to college, uh, there was this fearful moment when you, you're filling out these applications because my parents were like, hey, you need to write some of these things down. Um, and there's like this big list of all of these majors you get to choose. And you have to pick one. And like as an 18-year-old, you're like, this is it. This is me defining the rest of my life. And like the weight of that decision, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'm like, this seems somewhat food science on one application. But I don't even know what food science is. I picked it. I have no idea what I was doing. But I, I remember that moment. I'm like, here's this like threshold, and I'm going to check a box, and that's going to determine who I become, what I do for the rest of my life, how I spend it, how much money I make. It was like this defining thing is like, and now I have a major in hospitality, and I'm teaching at a church. So I, who can, the Lord connected the dots, okay? But there was this moment where I feel like this is where I decide my life and who I become based on what I'm going to do with it. And that's kind of the message that the world says, right? The world says that we are based on what we do, on how much we have, on, on who we have with us, on what we wear, on, on uh, how we live our lives, on the, the title that we find on a business card, if people even have those things anymore. There ain't, <laughs> kids are like, what's a business card? Um, we don't want to talk about a Rolodex, but um, I mean, those are the good days, right? Uh, when you had to actually memorize people's phone numbers, you had to, like, I had a piece of paper in my wallet. I'm digressing. Anyways, I had a piece of paper in my wallet, like, in high school of, like, all my friends' numbers in case I couldn't remember it. Um, but what our title says, what we have in the bank, um, the culture in the world says that we are defined, that our purpose comes from what we have. Our identity comes from what we do. But when we look at the teaching of Jesus, when we look at the values of the kingdom, we see the complete opposite, actually. We see that identity produces purpose. Purpose does not produce identity. The world says that what you do defines who you are. But in the way of Jesus' teaching and the way that we see it operating in the kingdom, our identity actually is the thing that defines what we do. So if you're taking notes with us this morning, the first thing is this, is that when you know who you are, then you will know what to do. I know it sounds very basic, but think about it. That is why so much on the, the counter side of that, the way of the world, it, that is why so much time and energy and effort is spent 
and trying to climb over other people and trying to promote yourself and trying to build a bigger platform in order to try to climb up the corporate ladder to get more, to, to have a higher paying job, more influence, more responsibility, more people underneath of you. Like that's what the world says is that's successful. And the reason that people strive for that is because they think that's where they find their value and their identity. But that's not true. Why is it that so much time is, is spent on that? I mean, think about it. In the corporate world, you even get, my wife had this one time. She kind of got reprimanded a bit because she didn't promote herself enough. Like she didn't like talk about the things that she had done. She didn't kiss up enough about, hey, look at my resume. Look at the things that I, I've done this week. And you compare the ways of the world that we're just kind of used to because you're like, well, we live in the culture. Like this is how you get by. You have to kind of talk about yourself. You have to do these kind of things. But then when we look at scripture, like it's totally opposite. But on the flip side, if we know who we are first, then purpose is defined by that. When we know who we are, we, we started this series at the beginning of last year, one of the first things we did, we talked about this idea of sons and daughters. When we know first and foremost that we are sons and daughters of the King, if, you, if, you're, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, that you're a son or a daughter of the King, and you realize that that, that is a starting place for your identity, everything else is built on that foundation. And secondly, when we realize that we are the church, like you individually, specifically, not just collectively, but the, the church isn't a building. The church is people. It's people who are entrusted with this great commission. Like the idea of just attending the service as being church is not a biblical idea. Yeah, yes, we're called to meet together with other people in community. We're called to do life together. But the idea of an hour a week on a Sunday morning, that's not church. But when we realize that we are rescued and redeemed sons and daughters, we realize that he's placed us in spiritual families called the church to use the things that he's given us to be a beacon of light and hope into the world who doesn't have what we have. Not arrogantly, but we were once dead in sin too, right? Like when, when we come to this place, when we, when we see that, Think about it. Jesus is called the way, the truth, and the life. The early Christians, we, we, we've talked about this before, but the early Christians, they weren't called Christians. They were called people of the way. And do you know why that was? They were called people of the way because the way in which they lived was so countercultural. It was so against the grain of what was valued by everyone else, what was prioritized by everyone else. They were so different. They're like, oh, those are, those are people of the way, that way. The way of living, it's different. It wasn't just the knowledge of Jesus, but it's also the ways of Jesus. Like we, we look at how Jesus lived his life and we wanna model the priorities that he had, the way in which he lived his life. Now, in all of Jesus' teachings, the example that he lived, there's defining markers of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's defining markers of what it means to be a disciple. Um, and there's a, there's a common one that's used that I would say is, is a major, if not the major um, way in which is an identifying thing for a disciple. 
a mark of a true follower. Um, it's a posture in which if we take up this posture that the rest of Jesus' teachings hang on. So if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 as we begin to unpack this in this series. And this is the heartbeat for the series. We're kind of giving a, a, a syllabus, if you would, a, a course overview of where we're going to go. But if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to unpack this in Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to start, uh, let's say, verse 20. What do you mean I say that? I mean, it was planned out. Verse 20 is where we're going. I'm not just like, eh, let's figure it out. Um, <clears throat> verse 20, uh, God's word says this. <clears throat> it says, then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons, and she knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in the places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. Now pause just for a moment. This is a true mom moment, is it not? This is a moment like if you were ever as a kid where your mom like called your teacher, called your coach, called your friend to like, hey, listen, I need you to do me a favor. Like this is one of those, I almost wonder if they're embarrassed in this moment. Um, it wasn't you know, uncommon for, for their mom to be around um, the group of disciples and following Jesus. But it's this moment where she's like, look, my boys are special. You don't understand. Like, can you do me a favor? And she, so she asked just point blank, hey, in your kingdom, let my two sons, the cute ones over there, right? The precious ones who do no wrong, let them sit at your right and your left hand in your kingdom. Meaning, let them be in the places of importance as you bring in your kingdom. She, she's, I mean, putting herself out there and they're kind of like, I'm kind of glad she asked. Like, it's kind of a, a, a cool moment for them a little bit, maybe slightly embarrassing, but she's, she loves her, her boys and she wants them to be in places of honor. So she's like, hey, will you put my sons at your right and at your left? Verse 22. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able Whenever Jesus says, hey, you're not going to do this, and they're like, oh, yes, trust me, that's usually a recipe for disaster, right? Verse 23, Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit at my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. Jesus' bitter cup was talking about the cup of suffering that he was going to endure, and he was foreshadowing to these two that they would indeed suffer like Jesus suffered. Not exactly, but they would suffer at the cost of being a disciple. Verse 24. And when the other 10 disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They're like, they got, they got in line first. They got like the best portion. Like we should have been up there earlier. We should have asked for it instead of just waiting to be handed out. It's like, we should have been there first. We should have asked for the right and the left. And now we're going be like at the awkward seat no one wants to sit at, where like the leg of the table, you know, like we, we wanted that spot, but they were indignant. Verse 25, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. And here's where we get our message title from verse 26. But among you, 
it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Completely upside down view of how the world viewed it. Those with authority demonstrate their authority. Those with power demonstrate their power. If you want to be first, you be first, right? If, if you want to, to have everything, you go and get it. And Jesus saying, here's how my kingdom operates, okay? You want to be great? Be the most servant. You, you want to you do well? Serve other people. That's how you become great, he says. He's saying the other people, they, they lord the authority, but even Jesus himself like, lived his life, gave his life as a ransom for others. So what, is, what does this mean for us? Like, why, why should we do this? Second thing is because we realize that the ways of the kingdom reflect the heart of the king. The ways of any kingdom reflect the heart of the king in power, right? Like if, if we were to go to, to your house, um, the way that your home operates would be somewhat reflective or what your kids value would be somewhat, not saying your home's a kingdom, but you get what I'm saying. In, in your family, those that are in charge, um, the parents, like the values in your home would somewhat reflect your heart, would they not? The same is true with the kingdom. The, the ways of the kingdom are not different than the ways of Jesus. The, the ways of the kingdom reflect the heart of Jesus, the heart of the king. And Jesus himself is a servant. Think about like that, that blows my mind. In a world of grasping for power, the way of a servant is so upside down and refreshing. He's not like any other king because he's not like any other king. The way that he operates, the way that he does. Think about it. Jesus is the only one in history who could ever actually say, do as I say and actually do as I do. Right? Because we, we're all like, hey, do as I say, not as I do, because I fall all the time. I fail all the time. But Jesus is saying, hey, walk with me. Do as I say and also do as I do. See how I humble myself. The God of the universe who humbled himself to the form, in the, in the form of, a, of a baby who grew up on earth, who was rejected, who was spit at, who was mocked, who was crucified, who willingly laid down his life for others. Jesus didn't say from his throne, hey, you do this and I'm gonna do things differently. Jesus modeled it for us. I love this in Philippians, Philippians chapter two. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. We could stop there and just go home, could we not? Like if we just meditated on that one passage, we committed it to memory and we actually went to live it out this week. How much differently would like, our lives be? 
how much more would people see that we're followers of Jesus than they have to, have to actually hear it? If we thought of others as better than ourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So he's not saying, hey, do something that, that's I've never done. He's saying, hey, walk in the ways in which I walked. The, the ways that, that we are called to be as followers of Jesus, that we're called to be as a church, is this posture of having a servant's heart. This posture of, of, of looking at the world differently. Think about it. There's even humility within the Trinity. Like there, there's this servant nature that, that one is always deflecting to the other. Uh, if, if I haven't pushed this enough, uh, we have an apologetics uh, podcast. You can sign up for it on the website. But uh, just recently, uh, Jason Thompson, our discipleship pastor in Simpsonville, there's like two episodes just on the Trinity. So I don't have time for it. Go listen to those, a great resource. But think about it. It says, but I have no right to say who will sit at my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Like it's, we can't even wrap our minds around this idea of the Trinity, but, but Jesus the son is submitting his will to the father who is God also. Like there's, there's this servant mentality, this servant heart. The reason is not because it's a foreign concept, but because it's the heart of God. Jesus displayed it. He served those that were overlooked. He picked those that none of us would pick. If you were gonna pick like, hey, we're, we need 12 world leaders to go and advance the message of the gospel. Like we would ask for resumes. We wouldn't be like, oh, you're cussing like a sailor. Yeah, come on. You know, oh, you're a tax collector. Hey, you're, you're overlooked by everyone else. You come and join the team. Jesus always picked those that were overlooked. He actually went and hung out with those that the religious people didn't even want to be around. He healed the broken. He, he went to those that were outcast from society. Jesus did everything that was so countercultural with the posture of a servant. He served people without an agenda of what he could get in return, but just out of genuine love. Not with strings attached to it, but out of compassion and love. So next week, we're gonna talk more about what does this actually look like? How do we have the heart of a servant? Today is the why, and the why is Jesus. We look at him. He's our author, perfecter of our faith. He is the, the example. He's the, the one that we are chasing after. And as a church, we will always strive to try to reflect this servant's heart mentality in everything that we do, in, in, in the way that we have our gatherings on Sunday morning, in the way that we um, be a part in serving in ministry together. We, we want to reflect this heart within these walls and more importantly, as we go outside of these walls. So if you have a Bible, we're going to turn forward. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 because we're looking, okay, how do we do this? It's great. The world says, hey, you want to be great? Talk about yourself. You want to be great? Build your own platform. Strive. Crawl over people. Like, whatever you have to do to advance yourself, that's how you become great. 
That's how you become successful. That's how you make a name for yourself. And in and, and the kingdom, he says, no, no, no. You want to be great. You have to humble yourself. You want to be successful. You have to serve others. You want to be impactful. You want to, to live a great life. Then live the life of a servant and of a slave. Two completely different perspectives. So how do we embrace the way of Jesus? Uh, with anything, we read this in Romans chapter 12 and how we change verse one and two. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and custom of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. To live our lives as a, as a holy sacrifice. I, I love the way that the message translation that Eugene Peterson uh, says it this way. He says, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking, you're lying around and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So what does this look like? This isn't just about serving on a Sunday morning. That's not what this series of teaching is about. It's about how as, as men and women as followers of Jesus, how do we model Christ-like love? How do we model to the world that we've been transformed and ransomed? How do, we, how do we model to the world that our life doesn't belong to ourselves, but that God has called us as sons and daughters. He's called us as a church. And the purpose that we have, that we run with, is to advance his kingdom is to be salt and light, is to be servants to the world around us. So how do we do this? One, from this passage, we need to see things differently. We need to think differently in three specific ways. One, is that we need to see different in how we see ourselves. We have to be different in how we see ourselves. We truly take the posture of a servant like we see ourselves differently. C.S. Lewis said that true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. That's humility. It's, humility is not this self-deprecation of like, I'm, I'm the worst, I'm, I'm horrible, I'm, I'm absolutely nothing. He's like, the basis of humility is just thinking about yourself less. Like you take a group picture and you look at it, what's the first thing you do? You look for yourself. And if you don't look in the picture, guess what? It's a horrible picture of everyone right? Burn this one. Delete it. It's just, we're selfish. We, we look after ourselves. And humility is not just 
thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less, less often. Um, <laughs> when I first started in ministry, um, when you start out, usually uh, you wear a lot of different hats. And so I, I got to work with students, um, I got to lead missions, and I was also the janitor. Um, and uh, sometimes I had to clean it, sometimes other people. And there was this great couple in the church, and they would clean it. But they cleaned it at like 11 o'clock at night on Saturday. And so it always stressed me out of my mind, because I'm like, if they can't do it, then I'm responsible and so there was, there was some weeks where I would get a phone call or a text at like 10 o'clock at night. Hey, we're sick. We can't clean the church tonight. And I'm like, okay. And so I'd drive to the church at, late at night and I'd mop the bathrooms and I'd scrub toilets and I'd vacuum the sanctuary. And the torture of a vacuum, which is designed to suck things up that doesn't suck things up. Like it, it, it you run over the same piece of styrofoam like 14 times and finally you just pick it up. Like that's, makes your blood boil. And like, I remember it was like Christmas whenever as a church, we'd buy a brand new vacuum. I'm like, yes, it's gonna be awesome. But I remember, I remember that. And I was like, I can complain the whole time I was doing it and I can have a horrible attitude. And sometimes I did. And I remember there was like, the sanctuary looks somewhat clean. No one's gonna know if I didn't vacuum under every single chair. But one, my OCD and perfectionism kicked in. And two, the realization that the Lord does. And this, this verse just like permeated my heart in seasons where I was doing things that I didn't wanna do is that I don't do it for man. Everything we do, we do it unto the Lord. We don't serve man, we serve the king. And so if, if me vacuuming under every stinking chair <laughs> is a way that I can make room for other people to come in and receive the message of the gospel, then who am I to say that standing on a stage is more important than vacuuming a floor? Because in God's economy, whether you're mopping, whether you're holding babies, whether you're serving your family, whether you're praying for missionaries, whether you're cooking a meal for someone in need, the title of it is not what makes it important. The way in which you do it is. And so whether you're mopping or scrubbing toilets, and in that season, God, God had to revi- refine me. And I learned lessons in, in serving in obscurity that I think every person in ministry should. And we realize that everything we do, we do it unto the Lord. That's why my, my heart in preparing messages is like, I'm very, very rarely ever the smartest person in a room. I get that, and I'm cool with that, okay? My, my, my posture in my heart is, is I wanna just come from the kitchen with what the Lord has given me and not try to mess with it on the way. And, and just... This is what the Lord's teaching. This is what the Lord's put on my heart. And, and I, I don't want to try to mess up the dish or try to over-season it or try to do anything else, but just, God, this is what you've put on my heart and I just want to communicate it. I pray that as a church, this would be our posture always. And one, when you see yourself differently, you don't take yourself so seriously. Like, I'm not that important. 
Heaven forbid something happens to me tomorrow. Guess what? Sunday morning's gonna come, church is gonna happen. Why? Because I'm not that important. No one person is that important other than Jesus. The mission of the kingdom and the mission of advancing the gospel is too important to be on the shoulders of any one man or woman. But he's called us together in this beautiful thing called the family of God, the church, that together as we're unified, we see it in Acts, the, the more and more they were unified, the more and more that, that people received the gospel and more and more people got saved and got baptized. Because no one came to the table and said, I'm calling the shots. I'm the most important person in the room. Everyone submit to me. No, they came to the table of grace of saying, hey, my possessions, everything I own, it's not even mine. You have a need here. It's yours. What changed the world is a servant-hearted people. And as a church and as a people, we're called to do that. The second way in which things have to be different, we have to be different in how we see the world. We don't see the world as something to conquer. We don't see the world and people as stepping stones to get to a position higher. We don't see the world as a chessboard for us to manipulate in order to get our way or to get to a place of notoriety. There's this uh, book that's out that, that uh, Pastor Jeremy's actually talking, telling me about. It's it called Givers and Takers, and they did a lot of research. They said basically in, in life, there, well, there's givers, there's takers, and there's bargainers. But they, they looked at the, the characteristics of takers, of people who in every interaction with other people, they're always trying to see what they can take out of it of how this person can benefit them, of how they can use them or this interaction or, or, or the relationship with this person for their benefit. And then they looked at givers, looked at those that are always just trying to give to other people, trying to serve other people. And the world would say that the more you take, the more you have. But in their research, they actually looked at the, the careers and the success of these two groups of people. And it was confusing because the people who actually did more and had more joy and got further in the careers were not the takers, but actually the givers. Meaning the ways of Jesus work. That our, our life and the way we see the world is just not what we can get from it, but about what we can give away to it. You've probably heard the story of a, a missionary, Elizabeth Elliot, her, her husband, they did ministry into um, the country of Ecuador, specifically to um, tribal Indians um, who never heard the gospel. And uh, she felt like the Lord had given her a vision that this may be one of the last times she sees her husband. And he went with a group of four men. They went down into Ecuador to this remote village um, and they were speared, they were murdered. And she, out of obedience to what the Lord wanted her to do, and a sister of one of the other slain men, moved down to Ecuador as well and started ministering in these villages with the, the intent specifically to go into the village, into the people that had murdered her husband, to share the gospel. And after years of, of working with the Quechua Indians, 
there was women who had come from this specific tribe and they learned their language and they learned their customs and they were invited to go into the village and they began sharing the gospel with the people who had killed her husband. And she took her three-year-old daughter with her. And she said this, she says, as long as it is what the Lord requires of me, then all else is irrelevant. What if we were a people that had that posture? If this is what God is requiring of me to surrender my ways and my desires and my rights and my bitterness and my anger, if this is what you want me to do, God, everything else is irrelevant. The gospel is not going to be seen in how we lord authority over other people. The gospel is not gonna be seen tomorrow morning when you're having to tell people, I'm your boss. The gospel is displayed best in how we serve those around us and how we love other people, not in what they can return to us, but in how in the posture of Jesus, willingly lay down our lives to love people. And lastly, the third different ways, that well, different in how we see success. Different in how we see success. What is, what is success? How do, how do we define it? We define it as obedience. I, I love, you, you read uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It's like this, we call it the hall of fame of faith. It's like this like, reference of all these different people and how they basically, they, they found success because their faithfulness. And how their faithfulness to God was, was rewarded. And they go through Moses and, and, and I mean, all, all the names go through Abraham, goes through all these people and look at what they did. It's like, we don't have enough time to talk about these great men of faith. But none of them were defined as having success because of how high they climbed. It wasn't in the title that they got. We will only go as far as we are willing to serve. It's true. We will only go as far as we never get to the point where we say that's beneath me to serve or to do that. Not in a crossing a moral boundary kind of way, but as a I'm too important to do that job. I have too much to offer than to do that. That's a starting place for someone else. What I love is, uh, if you've been seen on the news or social media anywhere, the, the revival in Asbury, Kentucky at a university, if you haven't seen this, you should Google it, it's fascinating. But they, they had a chapel service back on February the 5th, I believe, or February 8th, and um, normal chapel service, students came, some students left, and some never left. And they continued to worship and continued to just confess and share testimonies. And um, it's continued since February the 8th. They started at one point, like shutting down the chapel at one in the morning and starting it back up in the morning. Like there's this massive revival that is going on. And, and right now, outside of this 
university auditorium, there's thousands and thousands of people waiting hours and hours in line to go in and witness what God is doing. Like, lives are being changed. And, and it hasn't actually just stayed at Asbury University. Like, there's other universities in the area and other groups outside of this that they're seeing revival as well. And you know what I love about it? None of us could name one person who's involved with it. There's not a single celebrity pastor or worship leader or influencer or anybody who's involved. They've actually said, hey, if we can help in any way, they're like, no, we're good. Because the only person we want to get credit for what happens here is Jesus. And I believe the Lord honors that. Nothing against influential people. But before God builds high, he often digs deep. And he digs deep through humility. He digs deep and uses greatly those who have the posture of a servant. It's refreshing, it's disarming, it's invigorating, it's, it's, it's countercultural in a way that is embraced because it is so refreshing. So as a church, as Renovation Church, this is our heart. It's not about a person, it's about people. It's, it's not about what we can lord over. It's not about what control we can have. It's about what we can give away. How can we build up the capital C church? How can we love the world around us? How can we as a church, as individuals, have the posture of a servant? Because if Jesus humbled himself to death on the cross as a true example of servant leadership, what can us following in that posture of a servant's heart do? How differently would our world be? As for us, it will be different. We pray with this. Father, we thank you for the example of your son, Jesus, who in full authority and power humbled himself as a man to walk this broken earth. Fully God, fully man. And willingly laid down your life to serve those who the religious elite overlooked, undervalued, and cast out. Father, I pray that in how we view our our families, our jobs, our communities, our neighborhoods, our friends. Lord, one of the greatest ways for us to shine the light of Jesus is with the posture of a servant. Lord, that we would serve others, not with an agenda, but just as a way to physically display your love your compassion, your care, your mercy to the world around us. Lord, let it be different with us. Not because we are somebody special, but because, God, we want your heart. We want to bring honor and glory to you. 
And at the end of the day, if no one hears the name of renovation, but they hear the name Jesus, we have run a race well. God, to you be the glory, to you be the fame. And so Father, we thank you for the opportunity as sons and daughters, as equipped, called people to go out into the world as ambassadors of your love. So Lord, change us and challenge us and help us to live differently than the world around us for your good and your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, church. We love you. I hope you have an awesome week and we'll see you guys next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at the Renovation. Church. Sure.